Chief Science Officer Cedric Bryant, Ph.D., speaks to Antonio Williams, Ph.D., and Rory James, M.P.H., about the impact of healthy equity, public health, and physical activity during COVID-19 in the Black community. Let's listen in. everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning for the first of our Black History Month conversation series. I'm Dr. Cedric Bryant, President and Chief Science Officer for the American Council on Exercise. I'll be serving as the host and moderator for our discussion um, on the intersection of health equity, public health, and physical activity during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, let me introduce our two panelists uh, who are going to be joining me today. Uh, first, uh, Dr. Antonio Williams is an associate professor at Indiana University in the School of Public Health, and I'm happy to report he's also the most recent addition to the ACE uh, Board of Directors. And our other panelist is Mr. Rory James. Rory has a master's in public health and is the director of the Office of uh, Student Diversity and Inclusion at Indiana University. Uh, and I'm so thankful that they both uh, found time in their busy schedules to, to share some of their insights with us. So let's get started. Um, I think an appropriate place to start if we're talking about health equity, uh, the pandemic and public health is to start with some stats. And um, I'll start with some uh, information from the CDC when comparing uh, white counterparts uh, to uh, black African-Americans in terms of their risk for contracting COVID, for uh, being hospitalized as a result, and then uh, dying from COVID, the, the numbers are pretty disturbing in that uh, blacks compared to their white counterparts are about one and a half times more likely to contract COVID-19, almost four times as likely to be hospitalized as a result, and almost three times as likely to die. And so in, in light of those quite disturbing and alarming stats, uh, I'd like to um, pose a, a, a question to our panelists, and I'll start with you, Rory. Um, could you comment on the role that uh, health inequities play in contributing to these disturbing stats that I just shared from the CDC? Yes, and again, thank you, Cedric, for having both of us on this discussion. Um, of course, Public health practitioners and professionals know this. And if we're going to talk about, you know, quality of life, health disparities, particularly in black and brown communities and specifically African-Americans, we have to talk about COVID-19 in light of comorbidities. And you already mentioned several of them. So when we think about our community, we got to think about chronic conditions that already wreak havoc within certain populations within African-American community. When we think about chronic conditions, we think about hypertension, we think about diabetes, we think about obesity, we think about asthma. And we know that your body is already tasked with those chronic conditions if you are someone who has those uh, chronic conditions. And so COVID-19 is just not a good combination with that. So we're talking about the burden of disease. Another health inequity we definitely have to be conscious of is just, a, and this is a social determinant of health, um, uh, access to health providers and insurance coverage. And of course, that doesn't mean all African-Americans lack insurance. Um, we definitely have to talk about people who are may have insurance, but they're underinsured.
So what does it mean when you want to have access to primary care physicians or even to get to them and you can't? And so we're talking about access to healthcare and then something else, and this is very timely. Uh, as I was watching the news this morning, the local channel actually talked about as we roll out the vaccine, you know, when we talk about most vulnerable populations, we still have to talk about the medical mistrust or distrust that exists, particularly within the African-American community. Uh, when we look at the history, when we think about, you know, and this is a bioethical issue, uh, the history of the Tuskegee syphilis study. And of course, we know that was decades ago, uh, and, but there's still some level of skepticism that may exist in certain portions of the community. So even when there is a viable vaccine that people can take, definitely want to get members of the community to get the vaccine, um, some people may be skeptical to actually take it. And so that is definitely not going to uh, help the statistics that you just mentioned earlier. Thank you, Rory. Uh, Dr. Williams, do you have anything to add? Yes, I couldn't agree more with uh, what Rory's saying there about the social determinants, determinants of health and just the health inequity that we're seeing that are contributing to this. Uh, and also, as he mentioned, some of just uh, uh, some of our casual notions that we have uh, about uh, these types of diseases and, and the mitigation factor. We have to think about part of the reason why, why we are uh, contracting this disease at a higher rate is because of the metropolitan cities that we find most minorities and African-Americans where there's not as much space to actually be six feet apart. A lot of these people are living in apartment buildings. A lot of them are, are using public transit uh, to get back and forth to their places of employment. Also, when we talk about employment, uh, if you're looking at uh, socioeconomic status and race, a lot of times go hand in hand. And a lot of the, the people who are contracting this virus uh, is it, it's a result of being frontline workers, being those who are working in grocery stores, being those who are working in restaurants, in, in public transit. And so there are uh, our highest risks. And as Rory's saying, it's a domino effect, right? So you have that, they're more at risk because they're exposed more, but you also have those underlying chronic conditions, these non-communicable diseases that we have in the African-American community, as, as Rory said, asthma and hypertension and high cholesterol uh, and diabetes and all these issues really exacerbate, you know, the virus itself and leads to more hospitalizations. And unfortunately, because of the issues of, of racial issues we have inside the healthcare system, this could also lead to premature death, uh, where it could have been pre prevented as well. So Antonio, let, let me ask you, because I, I, I like to always try to get, get to, to, to solutions and, and to, to uh, a more positive bent on things. What, what role can exercise professionals and health coaches play in helping to address or reverse some of these inequities that, that you and Rory have just shared with us? Yes, sir. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we, we have to look at the positive side of things and what can we do? And I think uh, we have to come to the understanding that we have the ability to lead from the seat that we're in. Uh, I believe the incidents that we witnessed over this past summer, you know, as it related to Ahmaud Arbery and, and George Floyd and others, really uh, uh, awoke the activists and so many people and gave them the sense of responsibility. The same goes for physical inactivity, right? And what we can do as health coaches and exercise professionals, we don't have to wait for the CDC to pass a recommendation or, or roll out something new saying what we can do. We know now, based on the events of the summer, that black and brown and white people can all come together to impact change at the local levels. But what we have with the, the fitness professionals and the health coaches is that we know the benefits and we're able to effectively communicate the benefits of physical activity. 
we also understand at a heightened level the constraints and the barriers of physical activity for most populations. And this is a type of knowledge that's needed. At the end of the day, as educators, Rory, I know this, that there's a knowledge gap there. And ACE professionals are in a situation where they have the knowledge. And we need to also uh, provide them with the resources to be able to go into this community and give the knowledge to the people that need it most. Uh, and so I think, again, you can, we can just start with where we are right now. You already have the, the skills, you already have the tools you have, you can lead from where you are um, if you have the right resources and you have the mind to, to do so. And uh, Dr. you, you uh, mentioned that, that there'd be perhaps some knowledge gaps that exist. Um, I'm wondering, Rory, if you might be able to comment on some of those knowledge gaps, because I, I know par part of what you do is that you train organizations to um, become better equipped to, to kind of deal with some of these issues in terms of equity, diversity, inclusion. And, and if we're going to reach into those vulnerable communities, we have to understand what are some of the challenges there and, and how we can best connect with those community members. And so could, could you maybe speak to to what some of those gaps might be and, and how one might go about kind of closing some of those gaps. Sure, and I think Antonio set up the perfect segue when he talked about there just a knowledge that people in the fitness industry, you all as professionals, researchers, you know, trainers in the field. And I categorize, and a lot of people, you all are part of public health. And so a lot of times when we think of public health, it's not just the people who work at the health clinics or at the hospitals. It are, it, it are, uh, excuse me, it, it's the fitness instructors, it is physical therapists, it's, it's a whole bunch of people that's involved in the larger view of health and overall quality of life. Um, part of it is cultural intelligence and cultural competency, first of all. And again, we know that ACE and a lot of your professionals and field are, come from diverse backgrounds. But again, if you are not African-American, getting knowledge on how you can do outreach effectively in black and brown communities and African-American communities is integral. And so definitely doing some professional development in that area. Um, also, I would say the knowledge that you all have and, and professionals in the field, um, one thing that ties back to the first question, we already know that sedentary lifestyles and physical inactivity contribute heavily to those chronic conditions. And so the thing is, when we went on restrictions, a lot of gyms closed and what have you. And so how do we educate members of the African-American community about still remaining physically active, you know? And particularly, I'm very concerned about our elders in the community also as well. And so it's one of those things where, are there ways that we can do outreach to some of the senior citizens or the older men and women within the African-American community? Um, I think about members of my home church back in Chicago, what have you. And so a lot of people are just now getting on or hip to zoom and so you know and so that's how they access church services and so is there a way that we can incorporate physical activity or can fitness instructors work with places of worship you know to make sure that we can hey you come here to praise or to worship but also maybe on a saturday you know maybe we can do some demonstrations of physical activity so that we can have a broader reach and meet the community where they are and that's just one example also too but i think that's ingenious and i think that's something that's effective because you have to go where the people are thank you um Antonio, uh, Dr. Wins, we'll start with you with this one. Um, can you offer some practical tips for our listeners um, who say, you know what, I, 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 I hear everything you're saying, 
I want to be a part of the solution. So give me some practical tips on how I, as a fitness professional or a health coach, can go in and have more impact in these vulnerable communities. When we think about racial inequality, Cedric, we oftentimes think about the activists uh, and the social activists. Look at the heroic efforts of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and others. But I, I challenge the fitness professional to also look at themselves as activists. Right, and the root word of that being the act of being someone who's campaigning vigorously for uh, physical activity in their local communities, who, who challenges uh, uh, policies and things that would inhibit people with the opportunity of being physically active. A, a lot of African Americans are in communities that lack uh, green space, uh, are not walkable communities, don't have the proper lighting, don't have parks and recreation, and then we all know that they're also in, in food deserts. So I challenge our professionals educate uh, policymakers and, and key stakeholders in those communities, maybe pastors and others, uh, principals and all, to start to address the, the, the reasons why people are physically inactive in these areas. Also, challenge you to um, just really reevaluate uh, how you serve your clientele. Uh, Rory hinted on this a, a little earlier, but reevaluate as far as your messaging and culture. We know now that culture matters. Right? We, we know in fitness that, uh, or we say in fitness that, hey, fitness is for everybody. You, there, there's a mode of exercise for everybody. But we also understand why everybody is similar. Everyone is different. And they're different in the ways in which we, we come to fitness. Uh, there are certain uh, history of stigma around exercise and physical activity within the black community. When we talk about uh, black women and their physical activity, one of the first things we see in research is hair care because there's a perception of, uh, of their hair and they have to keep their hair a certain way to be in the corporate world and work environment and sometimes they're choosing do I go and take that spin class or do I keep my hair this way because I have to go to work the next day so we have to look at those cultural barriers that are there and I, I challenge my, my fellow ace fitness professionals and all fitness professionals and health coaches to start to really reevaluate you know, how they, they package and how they bundle the products and the services that they provide to their respective communities make sure that these things are not just diverse but and as Rory always says but they're inclusive and there's a difference between having uh, a diverse clientele and having an inclusive environment for the clientele that you're actually serving and um before we um, go any further uh, the the old old college professor and me uh I, i'd like to ask Rory if you could kind of give us um, a, a quick some quick operational definitions for equity, diversity, and inclusion, because those terms are thrown around a lot, but um, I, I would imagine there's probably some misperceptions in terms of what, what they truly mean. Well, I think that, that's a very good question. I think for those of us who are DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, professionals, whether that's in higher ed, at the corporate level, what have you, um, when we think of even the term inclusion, you know, because you can modify it based on the field, you know, how we define inclusion in higher ed or just education in general um, may differ a little bit from how you want me, you want to use it in fitness. And, and, but the same theme and thread still runs through it. I always start with inclusion because we can have representation. I tell people all the time, you can have the numbers coming through your door at the fitness center. We can have the numbers represented in the majors and the school or have you. But if our black and brown and other underrepresented students do not feel included in the space, 
you don't necessarily have a representation problem because once they leave, you're going to have a retention problem. And so that's the same that's true. And so inclusion, are we creating place, excuse me, place, uh, places where people feel accepted, valued, honored, appreciated? And, and when you start using those words within inclusion, you really get to the heart of the matter there. You know, I just don't want to be here as an employee or as a scientist or as a client at this fitness center. I want to know that I'm valued here, that I'm appreciated here, me and all the complexities and identities that I bring in this space. And so when you create inclusive spaces, those will be the spaces where everyone is going to be not only visibly, I see the representation, I see the diversity. People are going to be valued and honored they're going to be happy in those spaces because a lot of times sometimes we put a facade on about being in spaces certain spaces especially if we feel that in some ways we've been slighted or excluded in those spaces and so inclusion it really incorporates the acceptance and the welcoming part all right welcome me to the space accept me in this uh, space and celebrate me in this space that is inclusion and about uh uh, equity and diversity. Talk about diversity, and, and, and that could just be a rabbit hole in itself because diversity in itself is just, again, outside of representation, are we seeing all the identities that we can possibly see in this space, all right? And, and of course, as Black History Month, we're talking about African Americans, but also, does that mean people of varying ability status, you know, people with disabilities, you know, people of different faiths? And then again, not to even make those assumptions. Antonio, I say this all the time. So even when we talk about diversity among black people, we're not a monolith. So you can't make assumptions. You know, we're all not Christian. You know, there are Muslims. They are uh, black people who don't practice a particular faith. You know, um, we, when you think about education level, okay, you know, uh, and, and also the diversity in that, you know, not just black American. We have people from the Caribbean who identify as West Indian, you know, Afro-Canadians, you know, Afro-Latina, Afro-Latinos. And so diversity is, is just valuing all the varying dimensions of diversity or all the, the complexities of identity that also come. And then when we get to equity, uh, because a lot of times people confuse equality and equity, equity is also about, you know, not only giving me equal treatment, but when we talked about the inequities also earlier, it's not that we want to decrease the disparities in health that we see among African Americans. We want a quality of life that is on par with white counterparts, but also at the same time, you know, we want optimal health and, uh, and, and, and quality of life for everyone. And so equity across the board means that we all can access and have a quality of life that is perfect and, and better for all of us. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that as well, especially when, when Rory um, he talks about just equity and equality. And then so you're right, that's a word that people confuse a lot of times. I think that's, I, when I think about that word, I think about it, you know, more from my days as a fitness professional on the front lines. And, you know, we think about macronutrients, we talk about a lot of time and, and uh, you know, what fits in your macros. We're not, it's not going to be equality. We're not going to give every client the same amount of macronutrients. We're not going to give them the same calorie count. We're not going to do the same workout for them because that may not be enough to get them to where they need to go. Right, my body may need more fuel than the next person, so I'm going to give them a more calorie allowance, more macronutrients, more protein in their diet than I would give the other person, right, to make it equal, so we can both get to our goal. And so that's what Rory is saying there—that you know, we talk about having some equitable, 
right? It's not like, well, we gave this group of people this, we give this other group the same. No, this other group may need a little more than the other just to be equal uh, with, so we can have some sense of equality. I think that's the word that uh, we don't, we, we, we misinterpret a lot. And I think uh, just as fitness professionals, we can have some understanding of that. Uh, just by the way, we serve our clientele. And no, everything is not equal. You get 30 minutes, but I'm gonna do something different with client A versus what I do with client B. Yeah, and uh, Antonio, I think you make an important distinction there um, between equity and equality, because equality is, 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 in essence, saying providing the same to all. Yeah. But equity is a, it's a it's nuanced, a little bit different. It's you know recognizing that we all don't start at the same place, and so we've got to acknowledge that, and we've got to make adjustments, you know, for those imbalances that exist. Um, and, and, and for multiple reasons, some of them are systemic, some of them are, are individualized, but we've got to recognize, um, and there, there's a, a great um, uh, image that, that's often used in trying to, to display uh, the difference in that they have uh, these uh, kids of different heights are standing behind the fence trying to watch a baseball game. And equality put all the kids on the same size box and the short kids still not going to be able to see over the fence. Equity is putting maybe two, three boxes for the shorter child so that they can see from the same vantage point as the taller child. And that, that's really what, what we're talking about here. So um, we've got about uh, five, seven more minutes here. A couple um, thoughts here in terms of what do you think we are getting right in the fitness industry as it relates to um, this this notion of uh, kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion? If anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we're getting a lot right there. I, I think what we're seeing and just what I've seen just in, in, in uh, imagery, uh, I'm seeing a lot better in, in my area of studying consumer behavior and, and, and marketing and branding. I've been very, very happy to see a lot of companies, even a lot of individuals in the space, uh, being mindful of the images they use to market and message their products. I'm seeing more uh, black and brown people, people from diverse backgrounds, people of diverse faiths um, in their imagery. And I think, uh, you know, people want to be around, be in space, as Rory said, that they feel accepted and comfortable. And, and one way of doing that is seeing others that look like them, and not just people, but images that say, yes, this is for you. Peloton is showing images and has uh, diverse instructors that shows their clientele and their members that hey, you're accepted here. We understand that you're here and we want to have an inclusive environment for you. So I feel like we're, we're starting to get the imagery thing right. We're showing people that this is a space where you are welcome and people that look like you will and so you can be safe here. Uh, another thing I, I think that we're getting right is the, the acceptance of culture and the diversity of, of, of the culture itself uh, and whether it be the arts and the music and the movements of African Americans and the history of what African Americans have brought to not only this country but also to this industry. When we look at some of the founding fathers and people and, and the women of this industry, we have to point to some of the black folks that really paved the way for so many people to be where they are today. So we're, we're seeing that, uh, we're seeing the still lacking in my opinion is seeing more black bodies in this place. So our culture is, is there. You know, our 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 history is, is starting to be told a little bit. 
but we still need more seats at the table. And as I said in my club industry article, uh, you know, giving someone a seat at the table doesn't mean that you have to pick your things up and leave. Just bring a chair with you. If you have a seat in the table at the fitness center, whether you're in the corporate side of it all, you're an allied health professional, you're a health coach, bring another chair to the table and let someone else sit at the table as well. And if we can do a little bit of that, this, this, this industry has some of the best and bright people. You don't get into this industry unless you want to help people. And so I, I think that we have some ways to go, but I'm really proud of what I've seen in 2020, especially from people in the fitness industry. So um, here in, in the last few minutes, I'm going to ask uh, you both to uh, kind of provide uh, some kind of closing thoughts, kind of key takeaways um, for our listening audience. Um, I'll start with you, Roy, if you could kind of leave us with some nuggets. I was thinking about this a lot, and even last week, Antonio and I was talking about this. I think um, if I can leave any pearls of wisdom or golden nuggets, um, last May, in June of 2020, we saw this nation, and let me even be clearer, we saw the world come together and stand in solidarity and say that Black Lives Matter. Um, and so after witnessing what happened to George Floyd, you know, Breonna Taylor, and we can go on and on even before 2020, we said Black Lives Matter. Uh, but Black Lives Matter just doesn't have to be as it pertains to gun violence or racial violence. We need to think of Black Lives Matter as for mattering. When I think about fitness, physical activity, matter in all aspects. Like, again, I go back to quality of life, you know? And so we saw the statements on websites from a lot of corporations, organizations, higher education institutions, you know, show that Black Lives Matter more than just releasing a statement, you know? Make sure that it matters when you do your outreach to Make sure that you're being very intentional, as Antonio referred to, you know, being at the table, bringing others to the table who may not look like you, who may not think like you, to the table so that they can have some input also. And I think if we do that, not only in our respective industries, but definitely paying attention to the work that you all do in ACE and everyone across the country who is in the fitness industry, you know, making sure that, you know, access is done in a very meaningful way to Black people. So definitely, you know, do the outreach and make sure that's very intentional. Thank you. Uh, Antonio. Yeah, I would echo those same thoughts. And I, I would just add that with the nugget of, of, you know, we hear it all the time, but it resonates, especially in this industry, of you know, be the change that, that you want to see uh, in the world. Uh, I think people sometimes think, well, you know, I don't have it together. I don't understand everything that as it relates to race, and I don't want to offend anyone. You're never going to offend anyone by, you know, speaking to their spirit, speaking to their hearts, speaking to their soul, and and, and, and coming to it from a, a sense of, I want to help. I want to be someone better. No one would ever penalize you uh, for trying to do those things. So sometimes we have to get, it, get it, uh, away from our own fears and our own insecurities about, well, if I put myself out there, maybe I won't be accepted because I don't have all the knowledge. I'm sitting here as a professor, as a scientist, I don't have all, all the knowledge. I don't have all, all the answers, but I try to get up every day and just try to make the world a little better than I left it when I went to sleep the night before. And I challenge you all to, to do that. And I think that we have the golden nugget. We, we are able to impart knowledge on people and give people opportunity to live their absolute best lives. And everyone who's been touched by fitness and physical activity, 
know that feeling and going to this field uh, with the thought that you want to give that same feeling of health, of vitality, of strength to everyone. Uh, and, and whether that strength is a physical strength, that physical strength has a way of really evading into that mental strength and that spiritual strength that people have as they face the rules of day-to-day lives. So I, I just I just challenge everyone to take that with me and understand that even with your certification, even with your profession, you can make a change in someone's life. Well, thank you both guys. And um, just kind of listening to, to, to both of you, there are kind of two, two uh, kind of thoughts or themes that kind of resonated with me. Uh, one, the notion of um, humility in, uh, in terms of understanding that n- none of us have all the answers. Also, I think a, a dimension of humility that's important with this topic is that we have to, be, we have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and that requires us to, to, to put ourselves in a position of humility. Most definitely. The thought is that um, when, when tackling a, a big problem like this, um, or I, I should say a big opportunity, we have to be intentional in, in, in our focus and our efforts. So I, I, I thank you both for um, just the, the, the great uh, insights that you shared with us. And, and I thank all of the listening audience for, for taking time out of your busy schedules to, to share it with us and, and really to, uh, to have, have the opportunity to hear from these two fine, fine gentlemen that, I, that I'm um, honored and privileged to know. Um, just before signing off here, as I'd also like to um, remind you to, to mark your calendars for uh, February 16th, which will be our, our next conversation um, in, in celebration of uh, Black History Month. Thank you, everyone, and, and have a wonderful day.